You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. On August 24th, 1992, I went through the eye of a Category 5 hurricane. At that time in my life, I did not know the Lord. I didn't know anything about Him or His Word. I didn't know anything but religion. That's all I knew. The churches that I went to and the things that I saw as a kid never really pointed to who He accurately was. And so in 1992, when Hurricane Andrew hit, I was doing drugs, selling drugs, and I was playing in a reggae band, and I was also facing jail time for getting busted for drugs. It was one of those times in my life that was a pinnacle of change and transformation for me. I've been through a lot of difficult times, but this time would be a crushing blow that would completely destroy anything and everything I had ever built. Anything. Now, I considered myself a spiritual person, and as I would go to Grateful Dead concerts, I'd be getting high, meditating on crystals, and I'd have a Bible in my hand. In fact, I took my Bible with me everywhere that I went, and many times I tried to read my Bible, and most of the times when I, in fact, every time when I read the Bible, I never understood what I was reading. It was like reading Chinese to me. Now, maybe the fact that I was getting high and I wasn't overly focused on what I was reading played a factor in it, but I really didn't understand what I was reading, but I considered myself a, what I would call a relativist meaning that whatever worked for you works. And who was I to tell you that it wouldn't work? Whether you are a Buddhist, an atheist, whether you are into I Ching or Taoism, whatever it was, I believed all roads led to God as long as you were a good person and you lived right and treated people well. That's what I believed. And it was never my place to tell somebody that they were wrong or what they believed wouldn't lead them to heaven or to a better life. <coughs> and so I believed that. And I considered myself very spiritual. In 1992, when Hurricane Andrew, Category 5 hurricane hit, I was living in South Miami, and I decided to go to where my mom and her boyfriend, Rick, were living out in the Everglades by Homestead, Florida. Actually, by Florida City in Homestead. It's extreme south. It's only about 30 minutes from Key Largo, and it's all the way at the very end of Florida. Hurricane Andrew had an eye diameter of 40 miles wide. Anything within a 40-mile swath of the eye of Hurricane Andrew was destroyed. There were 300,000 people left homeless. It was like a nuclear bomb went off, and people had nowhere to go. People came in from out of town, price-jacking ice and generators. Construction workers came overpricing and price-gouging everybody for everything. And there was no place to live all the way to Orlando. 300,000 people were homeless. That's almost the entire size of Corpus Christi, to put it into perspective. At the time, I was playing in a reggae band and following the Grateful Dead around the country. I was playing in South Miami Beach with a band called Earth Crisis. And I was doing pretty well, I thought. I was living for me. I was doing what I wanted to do. Really, my life was a mess, but I didn't think so. And so whenever anybody would talk to me about being spiritual, I considered myself very spiritual. Little did I know what spiritual really was. And so in 1992, I'd, that same month, I had gotten busted for drugs. I was facing prison time when Hurricane Andrew hit. The house caved in on top of us. My mom and her boyfriend and a stinky black lab dog and I were inside a little tiny closet with a mattress over our head. The roof was basically ripped off. There was dry rock, sheetrock, and roofing material caved on top of us, water up to our neck. And I'll never forget that was the very first time I had what I would call the fear of God put inside of me. I wanted to cry out to someone or something for help, but I didn't know who to cry out to. And in that moment, it felt like we were going to die and our life would be over as 200-mile-an-hour winds beat against our house and our house caved in on top of us. Shortly after that, the next day, my mom and I hitchhiked a ride back to my apartment, which was in South Miami and Saga Bay. The hurricane came from the east, from the Bahamas, from the east side of the building that I lived in, 
and in turn wiped out every apartment on the east side. But I happened to live on the west side, on the top corner apartment on the fourth floor. The windows were knocked out. There was some flood damage. But overall, the apartment was habitable. Nothing on the east side of the building was, but on my side it was. Now, the building was condemned. It was declared uninhabitable. However, there's nowhere to go all the way to Orlando. We had a friend that lived in North Miami that my mom could go stay with, but I choose to live in that apartment for about a month. Every night at sunset, about 7 o'clock, there'd be a curfew. The militia or the, the National Guard was there with rifles, making sure nobody went out of their houses because of rampant looting and other things that were going on after dark. This is August in South Miami, Florida by the Everglades, and there were mosquitoes as big as my thumb, no windows, and it was 90 degrees in the middle of the night with no electricity. To, to flush the toilet in my apartment, I would have to take a bucket, walk down four flights of stairs, go to a, the stinky lake that was full of trash and debris, scoop up the water, go up to the fourth floor, and dump it in the toilet to flush the toilet. It was miserable. It was really miserable. But fortunately for me, because of my lifestyle, I had a little bag of pot. And I thought to myself, <coughs> I got to get some relief. I got to get some comfort. And so it was in the afternoon. I'll never forget. It was in the afternoon. And I walked out onto the balcony. It was about 90, 95 degrees, no fans, hot, drinking warm water and eating military army rations. And I sat out on that balcony, I looked across total destruction. Tarps covering buildings, everything was destroyed. Again, it looked like a nuclear war zone. I rolled up a big fat joint and decided I was going to get high as a kite. And I smoked that doobie. But this time was different than every other time. When every other time I would get high and it would be awesome and I'd feel so good and not have a care in the world, this time I was sweating and I was hot and I was miserable. In the back of my mind, I was facing jail time and everything was destroyed around me and I realized this is like hell. Who wants to be high in hell? I was like, this isn't any fun. So I also meditated on crystals at the time and I had this really large crystal, I still have it called, that I called home base. It was one big po crystal point about this big. I still have it. The crystal in and of itself is not demonic, but when you channel spirits and you use it to bring comfort from a new age standpoint, the things that I, were doing, that I was doing wasn't healthy and wasn't good, but the crystal in and of itself is God's creation. So I still have it as a token of what he's made, but also a remembrance of who I once was. And I would meditate on this crystal and I would chant and I would do ohms for an extended period of time to bring peace into my heart. And so I got my crystal and I sat out on that balcony, and I started, om, om. And the truth is, is I might as well have been meditating on this pen. Because normally when it would bring peace and comfort to my life, this time, nothing was happening for me. And there was no comfort. I was miserable, and I was at my very end. That's why I teach you guys consistently that your end is his beginning. Yeah. And until you come to the end of yourself and you die to self, you will continuously be trying to make things work your way instead of his way. And when wind and rain and floods come, it will define who you really are and what you're really made of and what you've built in your life. And for me, it took a Category 5 hurricane, getting busted for drugs, and facing prison time to finally come to my end. And so I got up out of the balcony, drenched in sweat, 95 degrees with no relief, and I walked back to my room. And as I walked back to my room, I looked on the shelf, and there was my Bible that I had taken to all the Grateful Dead concerts and that I had had since I was 13 years old. I took this Bible with me everywhere, though I never could understand it. I didn't know anything about it. I remember one time just opening it up randomly while I was sitting at a Grateful Dead concert in the parking lot, and I read something out of the Old Testament about David chasing down his enemies and cutting off their foreskins, and I thought, maybe I don't want anything to do with this, and I put it to the side. I tried to read. I actually did know one thing about the Bible. That's not true that I didn't know anything. I knew one thing. I knew if the letters were in red, it was Jesus talking. That's all that I knew. 
And I'd try to read a scripture, and I remember reading it over and over and over again and never understanding what in the world is he talking about. Now, there's scriptures that talk about a man without discernment and a man who has not given their lives to Christ are blinded. And when they try to understand the things of God, they're foolishness to them, and you can't understand them. The truth is, is I wasn't really coming to the Lord because I wanted him and because I wanted to change my life. I was coming because I thought he was just another part of spirituality. I wasn't desperate at the time, but this time, in my apartment, on my own, I was at my end and I was desperate. So I grabbed my Bible, as I had so many times before, and I picked it up and I just whipped it open. Just randomly whipped it open and I turned to this scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. We'll put it on the screen. It says, therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, this is Jesus talking, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 25. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it didn't fall for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended. And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I'd tried to read the Bible so many times and never understood a scripture, but this day, this time, I understood what I was reading. And the fact that I had just gone through a hurricane, and my house had caved in on top of me, was extremely surreal to me. I wasn't the smartest guy at the time, but I knew enough to know that if I had just gone through a Category 5 hurricane and this one time I read the Bible and understood about building my house on the sand versus the rock and my house had caved, the Lord was trying to tell me something. I knew it. So everybody say with me, wise man, wise. Foolish, man. foolish man. There's two people in all of society. There's wise men and there's foolish men. Both have completely different understandings in the Greek. In fact, when you study out what a wise man is and does versus a foolish man, it's fascinating. So I'm going to break it down for you today. And I want to ask you one question that I'll also conclude with. And the question is, what have you been building your foundation and house on? You see, we're all building something. My friend David's building something. Holly, Dawn, Marlene, Casey, you're all building something. All of you are building something. In one way or another, something's being built. The question is, what are you building and what's it being built upon? And you have to reflect on, for yourself, your own life to make that decision. You don't have to wait for a Category 5 hurricane to figure it out. Though many of you have been through incredible storms of life. So we're all building. And it's not the appearance that matters of the house. It's what's on the inside of you. It's not how you look. It's not your external, but rather the internal foundation of your heart that matters the most. God's not concerned about your appearance or how good your house looks. He's concerned about the foundation of your heart and what your life is built upon. I want you to notice that the wind and the rain and the floods beat on both houses. No one is immune to wind, rain, and floods. If a hurricane hits here, which I believe one won't, I have faith to believe that this city will not have to go through another hurricane. But if it does, guess what? Every one of our houses will go through it. Mine and yours. What happens when the wind and the rain and the floods hit our lives is what matters the most. We have to contemplate what we're building upon. The answer lies in two things. It lies in your current life state or the condition of your heart, your relationship with others and God, and how we prepare for the future. My prayer is that none of you will ever go through drama. My prayer is that you'll never have to face some of the things that I have 
face that my wife and I have recently faced. For those of you that are visiting, about six weeks ago, we lost, temporarily lost our 32-week-old daughter, Eden Grace. She was born, stillborn. Probably one of the most difficult life situations anybody could have, ever have to face, and unfortunately, 24,000 people a year face it. And many, of, many women here have had miscarriages and lost a child even younger or later. It was an incredible storm that sought to destroy my life and sought to take us out of our position and cause us to question and doubt God. That's what storms do. Each component of the wind and the rain and the floods has the opportunity to completely wipe you out. Think about it. The wind will knock your house down, but when the rain and the floods come, like a river, it will wash away the foundation. So wind and rain and floods are specifically out to destroy our lives. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about a natural storm per se, though they happen. What he's really talking about is your life spiritually. And what he's really talking about is the fact that we build our lives as wise men and not foolish men on a solid foundation. <coughs> a wise man does three things. Everybody say three things. Now, I have you do that so we can interact together and I can keep you engaged. Three things. He hears, say hears. He does. And he builds. So a wise man does three things. You hear, you do, and you build. The understanding of hears in the Greek means the ability to hear, attend to, and consider. It means that you understand and perceive the teachings of a teacher. To hear means I'm hearing his instruction and I'm going to adhere to them. That's why Jesus said so many times, let those who have ears to hear, hear. But don't we all have ears? Yes, but we're not all hearing. You can still have ears and not hear. And that's why Jesus seven times said, let those who have ears to hear, hear. It simply means that I'm understanding and perceiving and adhering to the things I'm being told. And then we do something with it. The word do in the Greek is the word poio, and it means to make or to work. It means to construct. It means to cause something to happen and to be productive. It means, like a farmer, when you plant a seed in the ground, you water, you nourish, and you nurture and cultivate your crop to produce a harvest. It means that we work hard and make ready and prepare. It means that we do something. It means we act right to carry out and execute. God's plan, it also means to celebrate and to perform the promise that's been given. So here's an example. Dawn has an incredible promise for her life. In fact, all of you do. God has given her a promise. But she still has to fulfill that promise by working and making and doing what God has given her. If I hand my friend David a box of Betty Crocker chocolate cake, does he have a chocolate cake? What does he have to do? He has to take the ingredients and bake the cake. You can't eat the picture on the box. You have to do something with the promise that God's given you. It requires making something happen with what God has entrusted in your life. And the next word is build. To build means to be established. It means that you have a foundation. It means to rebuild, repair, and restore. And it means to continue to grow and produce fruit. See, for me, I realized that I had been building my house on the sand. Even though I didn't know God's word, so I wouldn't know what to do anyway. But the point is, my house came crumbling down. And I realized that for me, I did not have a firm foundation. And from that day forward, I would need to rebuild. Everybody say rebuild. I would love to tell you guys, you'll never suffer, you'll never go through hardship, and my prayer is that you don't have to suffer certain types of tragic situations. I pray for that for you. I don't want to do funerals, I, don't, I'm, I wish you guys never had to go to the hospital, and I wish we could, I could be worked right out of a job, but it doesn't happen that way. There are people that are hurting, broken, sick, dying, addicted to drugs and alcohol, and they're hurting on the inside, and they need health and healing and life, and they need to be rebuilt to become everything God wants them to become. 
But if the hardship does come, you must understand what it means to hear, do, and build. And it means you're preparing today for what comes tomorrow. You never stop building. In fact, every life stage, every person in this room is a spiritual construction worker. Now, I'm not a great builder. I'm not actually a carpenter at all. Ask my wife. I mean, it's hard for me to build anything. I can if I've got instructions and if I'm taught really well, though. If I, it just takes a little longer. That's right. <laughs> but whether I'm a good builder in the natural or not, the point I'm trying to make to you is every one of you is in the construction business. Every day, you're building something. And the question is, what are you building and will it stand the test of time? And you'll be defined when your marriage has struggles, when hardship beats against your house, when you can't consistently maintain a job or relationships or friendships, when things are constantly caving around you and you've built your house on sinking sand. That's how you discover you haven't been building right. I'm here to help you start building right. I'm here to get you on the right path so that when the hardship comes, you don't cave. I'm here to stand with you, and so are so many leaders in this church. Rock City is here because people are coming in this door sick, broken, hurting, dying, and having built their house on the beach. And many of you here today are facing hardship and struggles and challenges because you've been building not according to God's blueprint and plan, but according to your own. And when you build your way, you're destined to be like the foolish man. I don't want to mince my words. I love you guys. I care deeply for you. But at some point, you need to hear the truth the way it is. Because if your life is a disaster, if it's constant problems and negativity and complaining, if you can't survive without your next fix, if you're never content and satisfied, if your life is in shambles and a mess, we need to get to the foundation. And I am really good at being a fruit inspector. I wouldn't be good as a natural foundation inspector, though... Billy Placker would. But I can look at the foundation of somebody's life and I can look at the fruit. Everybody say this with me. Say bad fruit. Bad, fruit. bad, root. bad root. When there's a bad root in your life, bitterness, anger, dysfunction, pain, warped perceptions about who God is, and you're not truly building according to his sayings, when the hardships come, your house is going down. And I don't want your house to go down. Let's talk about a wise man for a moment. <clears throat> the term wise man is actually the word in the Greek for prudent and intellectual. It means that if you do things according to God's plan, he considers you a pretty smart person. You're pretty dang smart. It actually means that you're intellectually sound. The problem with intellect is, and most people's intellect, is that it's not submitted to his plan and his lordship. We're doing it on our own. And when you do it your own way, you're actually not intellectual. The Bible says that we're fools. But God does want you to be smart, and he does want you to build right. He does want you to have intellect. But your lower logic must be submitted to his higher logic. He's the ultimate intellectual one. He's the creator of everything. So he wants your intellect and your mind and your understanding to be submitted to him. Hence, if you do it his way, he calls you a wise man. Everybody say wise man. Wise man. Foolish man. Foolish. Now, I don't want you guys to be foolish man. I want you to be wise. The wind and the rain and the floods don't prevail against a wise man. A wise man is a hearer, a doer, and a builder on the sayings of Jesus Christ. Now, what are the sayings of Jesus Christ? This Greek word of sayings is the word logos, and it means the written word of what he has said. It means that we must build the foundation of our life deep upon the rock of his written word. The problem is, so many people are biblically illiterate. That was me, not anymore. Having a knowledge and an understanding of who he really is and what he has really said is vital because that becomes the firm foundation of your life. Logos, for the word word or sayings, is different than the word rhema. Rhema means what God is saying to you now, what he's speaking to you and to your heart. 
We can all hear God's voice, but so many people don't have ears to hear. You're never going to know what God is saying if you don't know what he said. Hence, you can't build. Can you imagine if I, got, if I walked out to a construction site and I had all the lumber and all the nails and all the trusses and all the things that I would need to build a house, but no one to teach me, and I just went for it? It would be a disaster. Now, if I had written blueprints, that would probably help, but if I don't know how to read written blueprints, I wouldn't know what to do. And if somebody just came along and said, cut that to this dimension and do that and do this angle and just told me, but I didn't have a training and a foundation of a blueprint, I wouldn't know how to build. Hence, you need both. You need the written word as your foundation and you need the spoken word to guide you in how to build. I want you to take a look at this last verse again. I'm sorry, it's verse 25. Verse 25 says, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it didn't fall, for it was founded. Now, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say built here. It could say that house didn't fall because it was built on the rock. It actually uses a word founded, and it's where we get the word to be found and have a foundation. <coughs> That's why we recognize and realize we once were lost, but now we're found. And now I'm established and rooted and founded with a firm foundation so it can beat against my house. Hardships and wind and rain will come, but my house is going to stand because this foundation has been founded on an immovable structure of a rock. God wants you to be founded. It's the understanding also of the beginning principles of being a believer or a Christian. When you get born again, you must have a firm foundation of God's word so that you can have a foundation that's immovable and unshakable in your life. It's the beginning principles of every Christian. And it would be so funny to me that when I never understood a scripture, this would be the very first scriptures I ever understood. And I knew it wasn't a coincidence. But there's also a foolish man. And the foolish man also hears the word, but chooses not to do what Jesus teaches. And so when the difficulties of life blows and beats, everybody say blows and beats. When the difficulties of life blows and beats on the house, the fall of it is great. Now, I would probably never say this to somebody out on the street unless I knew them or was a close friend. I usually never use this word that Jesus used in the Greek for foolish man, but I'm going to use it today, and I'm going to use it with a smile because I really do love you all. But when Jesus says the foolish man hears but doesn't do, the word for foolish is the word moros in the Greek, and it's where we get the exact word for moron. Now, that wouldn't be nice if I just said, you're such a moron. Somebody would get really offended, wouldn't they? Another way to say it is we're heedless. We're unbridled. You're, you are your own God. You're not heeding. You have no piety in your life. It means to be a blockhead. Everybody say blockhead. blockhead. Or how about you are so hard-headed. And that's what the Lord's saying. It also means to be silly and stupid. It's the extreme polar opposite of being intellectually smart. It means that if you hear God's word, the sayings, and you don't do them, you're a moron. Now, don't get mad at me. Please don't get offended. The point is, is so many people are so hard-headed. The reason why they're hard-headed is because they have a misguided understanding of who God really is. They only know about Jesus through the Christians on the street corner or the Christian TV or the church you were raised in. Or the misguided, jacked up, dysfunctional things you saw from maybe your own family or other so-called Christians that treated you without love and care and honor and respect. I'm sorry for them. But not everyone's that way. And nor does the Lord want you to be that way. But what the Lord wants to do is remove your hard-headed stubbornness. And he wants you to start to build his way 
so that when the wind and the rain and the floods come and your house gets beat upon vehemently, you stand firm. My life is a living example of that and so many of your lives. In fact, I've often said I face more difficulties as a Christian than not as a Christian. But I don't want to be a foolish man. I don't want to be a godless man. I want to be a man that knows him intimately and walks as a son, not as a pretentious religious Christian, but a man that has authority. When my wife were traveling and my wife and I were traveling this last week, there was so much authority on our lives the entire trip. It didn't matter where we went or what we did. We're in the pool at sunset swimming. Couple, we meet a couple. They come up to us and we get to know them. The couple asks what we do as everybody does. I say, I own coffee shops. I'm a pastor. And usually when I tell somebody a pastor, they're pretty quick to tell me why they do or don't believe in God. <laughs> or run for their life, one or the other. And a wonderful gentleman that I hope I get to be in his, in his life for a long time says, you know, I, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe he's actively involved in my life. I believe he cares more about other events around the world than he does me. And I had asked him a question about his life, and he had told me that he had a son. And I said, then let me ask you a question. I said, how much do you think about your son? And he says, all the time. And I said, the Lord thinks about you even more than that. And he thinks about you all the time. Now, the way that I said it at the place and the time was full of anointing. There was so much presence there that he just turned away and swam away and began to weep and cry. Because I gave him the right word at the right time. This happened everywhere we went. People are crying in the VIP lounges and... Stuff, crazy stuff's happening to us. We booked a little getaway and we decided to go to Cancun because it's fairly inexpensive and you can get package deals. And we didn't want to go hiking or do excursions. We just wanted to be together in, in our room and go swimming and enjoy the sunset and eat great food and just have a nice time, the two of us. But when we got there, it was the room that we had booked was this partial ocean view room that was tiny and it wasn't what I had hoped for, and I even had spent a little extra money to get it, and it wasn't a lot of money. I used five years of my American Express points to get this vacation package, and we get there, and the room is subpar. And so the next morning, I go to the VIP lounge to upgrade my room, and I meet the wonderful PR manager of the hotel. And of course, she asked me what I do for a living. And I said, I own some coffee shops and pastor a church. She goes, oh, really? Wow. I said, yeah, and I went over to make a little coffee there. I saw the little coffee machine, which was the saddest part of our whole trip, by the way. <laughs> and then she asked me the million-dollar question. How did you become a preacher? Now, I didn't have time to tell her my whole testimony. Could you imagine? I'd have, it'd have been all day. I had about 10 seconds to give the right response. And so I looked at her, and I said, because I love people so much, and I've been through so much hardship and failure in my life that I have the tools and resources to help them, and I care about people deeply, and so does Jesus. And her hair stood up on it, and she got goosebumps. She goes, wow, I just, look, I got goosebumps. I said, that's the Holy Spirit touching you right now. And I said it confidently with love, and she was completely blown away, and she said, come over here to the desk for your upgrade. <laughs> and I am not kidding you. We got upgraded to the $1,000 a night Fuego suite. It was, listen, it was the Fuego suite. I don't know what else to tell you. This was a thousand square foot, ninth floor, two balconies, full ocean view with a side view of the entire island with a jacuzzi tub that could fit five. <laughs> I tell you that story because 
When you know who you are and you walk confidently as you, uh, in who you are, the Lord always, always. It wasn't about getting the upgrade. It was about giving the word at the right time to that woman. And, of course, the next day we go down to the VIP lounge, and it just so happens she's there by herself. And she comes over and sits down with us and says, I was so moved, and I said, I got a word from you, for you. So the Lord had told me when we were walking to the room after we got upgraded, I, I had chills everywhere that God wanted her to be born again and give, his, give her life to him. See, she was a mother of four, single mother, going through a lot of hardship. And I looked at her, Amber and I were sitting there, and I looked at her, I said, God's about to shift your life, and he wants you to come to him and give your life to him. And everything's about to change for you. Her eyes started, started tearing up, and I began to speak revelation into her life, and she started wailing, weeping, wailing. I mean, not just a little boo-hoo. I'm talking wailing. And in turn, I looked at her and said what I love to say, it's okay to cry. And the Lord comforted her, and it was powerful, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And I'm telling you that story because everywhere you go in your life, no matter what you face, God wants you to understand who you are as a son and daughter and to walk in confident authority because you know the answer if you know him. If you had millions and millions of dollars, you think you might be unmovable because you could buy anything with your money, but it will never give you the authority. You may think you have it temporarily, but nothing is like knowing the truth and having the standard of the kingdom of God in your life yes. and walking in victorious confidence even when wind and rain and floods come. Yeah. Now, I understand as a pastor with thousands of eyes watching and we temporarily lose a 32-week-old baby that people could go, how could that happen to him? And I wish I could tell you and go back and say it didn't happen. The baby lived and was resurrected, but it didn't happen that way. But the real answer is in how we responded. The real answer is what we did with the wind and the rain and the floods that tried to destroy us. So there was another similar version of this parable that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Plain. I'm going to read it to you. It's a, it's a little bit of a different version. It's Luke 6, 46. This is Jesus talking. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you to do. Luke 6.46. The word for Lord here is the word Kyrios. It's different than the almighty ruler of all the universe. This word for Lord means, why do you say to me that I'm your master? That I'm the one you put your trust and hope in? Why do you call me king? Yet, you don't do what I tell you to do. Obedience is vital. We can't just be Sunday morning churchgoers. We can't be pretend Christians. We have the answer for life. And no matter what we face, we can be life givers. But it requires obedience to what he says. He says, whoever comes to me and hears the sayings and does them, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. Everybody say, dug deep. Dug. Say it again. That's right. Now, I don't really like to dig, personally. Digging is not something that's overly enjoyable for me. We got a rose bush at the memorial service. Amber says, go plant that in the backyard. This was two weeks ago. It hadn't rained in over a month. So I marched right on out about 5 o'clock in the afternoon in 98-degree heat, thinking I'm just going to plant this rose bush. I get out there. I get about half an inch into the ground, and the ground is hard as a rock. I'm sweating in about a whole minute, and I said, you know what? That rose bush can just survive in that pot for a little while longer. <laughs> I don't really like to dig personally, but you've got to understand that digging deep connotates something. Yeah. Digging deep means that you're willing to be disciplined and pay the price and get down to the source. Mm -hmm. And to go deep means to discover the hidden mysteries and counsel of the Lord. So religious piety and your little devotion and, yo, oh, you read a little Bible today. I'm glad you went to church. That's not digging deep. People all over the world are doing that. Digging deep means that you are going after the heartbeat of the Lord because you want to know him and you want to understand his counsel and his mystery so that you can build the way he wants you to build. Everybody say, dig deep. 
And it's not easy. I wish I could tell you it was easy. Now, it gets easier because I love him more and more every day, and I love my time with him. Reading the Bible is a joy for me, not an arduous task, because I want to know him. But it still requires a process of discipline and hard work to go after the heartbeat of the Lord and to dig deep so that your life will be rooted on the rock. Not a lot of people are willing to do that this, today. They want the easy way, the comfort way, the fast way, the quick way. They don't want our, your feet held to the fire. But instead, they want to get patted on the back and their ears tickled. And that's not what the Lord wants to do. He wants to make you a man of discipline, integrity, and character so that your foundation will stand firm no matter what you face. So he's like a man that digs deep and lays a foundation on the rock. And when the flood comes and the stream beats vehemently against that house, the house couldn't be shaken for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. In this message, Jesus made it clear that we can't call him Lord and not do what he tells us. Obedience is key, and if we come to him, we must be obedient to his word for our lives. Jesus is the rock, and what he said is our foundation to guide us and to strengthen us and to give us the ability to hear his voice. And so a wise man digs deep. Remember that the wind and the rain and the floods beat vehemently against everyone's house. But only one house stands. The words beat vehemently mean this. It means that what's coming against you is out to destroy you. It means it wants to rip you to shreds, tear you apart, and completely destroy your life. In fact, it's the same understanding that Jesus used when he talked about the demoniac manifesting demons and cutting himself and rending himself to pieces. It's the same word for completely being possessed and manifesting a demon that wants to destroy your life. The enemy hates you, and he'll do whatever he can to bring storms of life into your life to destroy your foundation and who you are. That's why we must prepare ourselves. Again, I hope and pray that you never have to go through crisis, and I don't believe you will. I don't believe you'll ever have to face what I faced, and I don't ever want you to. But should crisis or difficult situations ever come into your life, it's important that we prepare and plan ourselves, plan for what could come. We build on a firm foundation. Jesus said that in this world you'll have trouble, but to take heart because he has overcome the world. He said, greater is he that's in you than anything that's in the world. And so we plan and we prepare ourselves. When the enemy tries to come and the wind and the rain and the floods beat vehemently against our house, our house can stand the test. It's a test. But if your house isn't built on the rock, the Bible says that your house will fall and the fall will be immediate. And the ruin will be great. <coughs> ruin means to be completely destroyed and unusable. And the word great is the Greek word megas, and it means it's going to be mega big it means it's massively huge and it's what the enemy wants to do is to wipe our lives out but when we build on the rock it's not going to happen digging deep requires hard work time and discipline and requires us to hear his word and be obedient to what he teaches god wants you to be intellectually sound so long as your intellect is submitted to his lordship and in turn we will build his way versus our own way no one wants to be a blockhead no one wants to be a moron. Yet this is what people become when they reject God and his word. This is due to people building on unstable ground that has no substructure. Only being founded upon the rock can we withstand life's storm that comes against all of us. No matter how much they beat vehemently to destroy you. And finally, I want to remind you that you're building something. All of us are building and we continue to do so until the day we die, no matter your life stage or your life situation. You're all in a construction business. If you're a young adult hoping to get married, start building that foundation so that your family and your future will be rooted on the rock. If you're married and you're having struggles and difficulties and challenges, get back to what God has taught you to do. 
get help. That's why we're having marriage classes that are going to be starting. I'll be introducing you to our new marriage and family ministers here, here soon. Warren Tyree's leading a new believers class and a class designed to help you get back into the word to learn and understand what it means to really be a disciple on Sunday mornings, to be like a Sunday school. We want to help you get rooted on the rock, on a firm foundation. And if your foundation is caved and crumbled, just admit it. I was building on the sand, but now I'm going to build on the rock. I don't want your house to ever cave. And you don't have to go through a hurricane and for your house to cave for you to realize, man, I've missed it. Start building right now. Build your home, your life, your family, everything upon the rock of Jesus Christ so that when hardships come, you'll stand firm. The question comes back to what I started with. What are you building on and what is your foundation? Only you and the Lord can discover that process together. And you've got to be introspective to check your own life. You've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. So what are you building and what is your foundation? And I'm going to leave you with this. The best way for you to discover what you're building on is by examining your life. Look at your own life and be honest with yourself. I'm not here to beat you up and tell you how jacked up you are, but I am here to help you discover how jacked up you are if you are. I'm here to help you out of dysfunction, addiction. I'm here to help you if you need it. I'm here to help you build right. I'm here to help you in your future so that you can be strong and mighty and do the things that God has called you to become and do. That's what I'm here for. But you've got to examine your life. If you have broken relationships, if you're distant from family and friends, if you're isolated and alone, if you're addicted to anything, pornography, alcohol, drugs. If you can't survive because you don't know how to function, something's amiss and the foundation of your life is off. But only you can be real with yourself to discover that. I hope and pray you'll do it today and not wait for an end like I had. But I can assure you, if you don't make the decision to build on the rock, you will soon realize that an end is coming. And when that end comes... You'll have that opportunity to find him, but you can find him now and not wait till then. Another way to find out how you're building your life is to compare your life to his word. So, for example, if I tell you God is good, but you don't believe he's good, then you don't understand his word. If I tell you he has a hope and a plan and a future for you, but you think he's some tyrant God or don't even believe in him, then you have no foundation to work with in your life. But one of the greatest ways to discover how you're building your life is how you react and respond to the wind and the rain and the floods. As a pastor, I deal with people that are in crisis all the time. The word crisis in the Greek, or actually the word condemnation is the word crisis in the Greek. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you life. But people often think God's out to get them. That's not true. Making your own bed, lying in a bed that you made is not biblical. God wants to rescue, rescue you out of that bed. He's for you, not against you. But what I see more often than not is when marriages fail and crisis comes, as I see so many people begin to question the goodness of God. They begin to doubt and disbelieve. And then we run to things like pornography and our next sexual encounter or another drink, or another drug, or another thing to comfort us when it doesn't ultimately produce life. Addictions, hurts, pains, broken relationships, broken homes, broken houses, people isolated and lonely and alone is what happens when people go into crisis that don't have a foundation rooted on the rock. And that's what happened to me. After I came to the Lord, I had many things go awry in my life. Many poor decisions that I had to learn and recognize and realize. In fact, one of the reasons why I love the Lord and love people so much is how many times I failed. It doesn't make sense, and my failures became far and few between. I don't look at pornography. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not who I once was anymore. 
And when crisis hit our lives, I wasn't popping pills and doing shots to numb the pain. In fact, I didn't drink at all. In fact, I didn't even want to eat. I just wanted to fast and seek the will in the face of the Lord because I didn't understand at the time, but I knew he had the answer. And what happened after that crisis was my house is still standing. The Lord would love, or the enemy would love for me to live in what happened six weeks ago or all my failures and mistakes. But I'm moving on stronger, and so is she, and so are we, and so is this church. Thank you. Now, it's odd that the Lord gave me this message because I think a lot of you are going through some difficult situations. In fact, I'm sure of it. Children, family, personal lives. Many of you might be hurting and in pain, and your marriages may seem on the rocks, not knowing where to go and where to turn. But here's what I want to tell you. You can overcome the difficulties and the challenges of life you can overcome the beating against your life vehemently when you're rooted on the rock. And it means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, and it means to know him for who he really is, and to not keep being heedless and doing it your own way. I don't want you to get a religion. I don't want you to conform to my own system and structure. I want you to conform to him. I'm not out to try to make you a better person Jesus does that. He called us to be fishers of men, not clean them too. My job's not to try to clean you up and beat you over the head with the Bible, and neither is that your job. But it is my job to present the truth to you and to show you what it means. By example, when I was once living on the streets and literally a deadhead with no hope and no future and at my end, when I was in prison, when I had lost everything, and when I had nothing, the Lord rebuilt my life to this day, and I'll never back down. And I'm committed to fight with you all the days of your life. As long as you are here, and as long as Rock City is here, by the grace of God, I will fight with you in the trenches for the rest of your life. Because we need each other, we need family, and we need to be a built temple together. That's what Jesus is doing. He's building us together with him as the chief cornerstone. That's what he wants for your life. But you have to make the decision to do it. You don't have to live in dysfunction and pain and hurt anymore. Things will be tough, and the wind and the rain and the floods can beat against your house. But I got good news for you. We're overcomers, and you can make it through. Amen? Come on. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.